Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. So we're in John 10 today. And uh, before we go there, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day and this day in which you are, that you've made and you've given to us. And Lord, I just lift up this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, for you to guide us. You've been provided to us. You've been put into our lives, Holy Spirit, to be that light unto our feet, to be the instructor, the teacher, and the guide. So I ask, Lord, I ask for for you to speak to us, for you to open our hearts, open our minds, and our spirits to your will. I pray that we would understand what you want us to know as we read. <clears throat> I just ask, Holy Spirit, for your wisdom your guidance, your insights. May our hearts be prepared to receive. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the good shepherd and his sheep. So, this is primarily about Jesus being the good shepherd. Those are the stories that we remember that I've come through my church background with. And it's also about abundant life. So I want to read the scripture, and then I want to read some of the one of the messages or one of the parts of a Charles Spurgeon sermon from the 1860s that addresses and deals with abundant life a little bit. So let's go ahead and jump on into chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never know a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And quite candidly, a lot of us, including me, I didn't understand this. I sure didn't understand the whole concept of the sheep and the shepherd. I always figured you had a dog that had to keep them moving, right? The sheep dog, driving them on. But the reality is, is the shepherd, the sheep really do know the shepherd's voice. And you could have... A hundred sheep and 20 of them be yours as a shepherd. And you walk in, you call their voice, you call out, you start talking to them and they will follow you. Just those 20, not the others. It's an amazing situation, but they will follow you on your way. It's, I've always had images of cows, right? And that you have to herd them. Sheep you do a little bit, but it's mostly They follow your voice, at least in the days of old. Today, yeah, with these large farms, maybe that's the case. But anyways, so Jesus, when we know his voice, because we are part of his flock, then we can follow him more effectively and more telling with greater impact to our personal lives. Anyways, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, 
Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So, I, it just struck me when I'm praying and I'm talking to people and I'm praying with them, for them, or I'm just speaking to people in general. One of the questions they ask me, and this isn't because I, I just talk to people about God at times, at times, not all the time, but I do sometimes, and I'm not trying to make myself sound better. But what they ask is, how do you know it's God's voice? How do you know? Well, I think that's because a shepherd is around their flock all the time. And they hear it. And I think as a, as a child and as a member of that flock, in prayer, I'm talking to them all the time. And eventually you figure out what's your own head. Generally, it's about selfish stuff. And what's God's? Because you experience it. You have to spend time with God in order to learn his voice. And I listen to this so much, or I read this, and I think about it, and it's talked so much about knowing his voice. The sheep know his voice. And then I think of my friends and the people I talk to sometimes, and they say, how do you know it's his voice? So they don't know his voice. And that's sad. That just made me sad. Anyways, verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were, again, divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts and walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and the Father, I and the Father are one. 
Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So sometimes I sit here and have thought in the past, hey, Jesus was not clear in saying, I'm God. Despite the way that he said it, it would be known by the Jews. It would be known by the Israelites when he's making claims that only God made throughout their history. I am and these others. So they flat out say, we're stoning you because you're claiming to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If you called them gods to whom the word, to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me? of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. There's just, it's amazing because until I learn more about the Jewish culture and about scripture, I don't understand the Bible as well. But when I gain an inkling then I can sit there and get a little bit more insight, right? And that helps me a lot to understand and, and overcome my, my concerns and the things that I, that I don't understand. I have doubts or, or questions about. I don't know if they're doubts, but just questions. So it's so good when I get to learn more about the word and about the culture. So I wanted to read some of Charles Spurgeon's sermon that he had about abundant life. About verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Charles Spurgeon writes, Jesus has come that those whom he has given life may have it more abundantly. Life is a matter of degrees. Some have it. Some have life, but it flickers like a dying candle in it and is indistinct as the fire in the, in the smoking flax. Sorry. Others are full of life and are bright and vehement, like the fire upon the blacksmith's forge when the bellows are in full blast. Christ has come that his people may have life in all its fullness. Increase of life may be seen in several ways. It may be seen in healing. A man lies sick upon his bed. He is alive. But he can hardly move a limb. He is helplessly dependent upon those around him. His life is in him, but how how little is its power? Now, if the man recovers, rises from his bed, and takes his place in the world's battle, it is evident that he has life more abundantly than in his illness. Even thus, there are 
there are sick Christians of whom we need to say, strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Their spiritual condition is weak if they do, li- if they do but little. When the Lord Jesus restores them, strengthens their faith, brightens their hope, and makes them healthy, then they are not only have life, but they have it more abundantly. Our Lord desires desires to have us in spiritual health. He has for that end become the physician of our souls. He heals all our diseases and is the health of our countenance. A person may, however, be in health and yet you may desire and yet you may desire he had more life yonder little child for instance is in perfect health but as it cannot yet run alone put it upon the ground it totters a little way and is ready to fall those bones must be hardened those muscles must gather strength when the boy becomes a man he will have life more abundantly than when he when he was a babe we grow in divine grace we advance in knowledge in experience and confidence and in conformity to the image of our Lord. From babes in Christ Jesus we advance to young men, and from young men we become fathers in the church. Jesus would have us grow. This is one of the designs of his coming, and thus do we have life more abundantly. A person might, however, have both health and growth, and yet may may enjoy or may be stinted as a measure of life. Suppose he is confined as a prisoner in a narrow cell where chains and granite walls perpetually bound his motions. Can you call his existence life? Might it not be accurate to speak of him as dead while he lives and to describe his dungeon as a living tomb? Can that be life, which is forbidden pure air, which is the poorest man's estate, denied the sun, which shines for all that breathe, He lives, for he consumes that piece of dry bread and empties the pitcher placed daily upon the stone floor. But in the truest sense, he is shut out from life, for he is denied liberty. When the poor prisoner once more climbs the hill, crosses the ocean's waves, and wanders where he will, he will gratefully know what it is to have life more abundantly. Now mark well that if the Son of God shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And in that freedom, find life sparkling, flashing, and overflowing like the streams of a mountain. To be under bondage through fear of death is scarcely life. To be continually fretted with mistrust and receive the spirit of bondage again, to fear, genders unto death. But it is truly life to be able to cry, You have loosed my bonds, yet I can suppose a man at liberty and in health who might still have more abundant life. He is extremely poor. He may wander where he wills. It is true. But no foot of ground can he call his own. He may live where he chooses, if he can live. But he is scarcely bread for his body or or shelter from the night. He is extremely poor. The poor man... Okay, so anyways, from there, let me just take it and... I, I can read Spurgeon for forever especially when I read it out loud it just comes so alive but what really strikes me with all of this is the abundance of life we need to in order to really have the full abundance we need to grow we need to grow in Christ we also can't be imprisoned in a dungeon in a dungeon 
where we have chains on us, where we have cement walls that keep us from life. And I think so often we, I have succumbed to not growing. And that's what this journey is all about. It's reading his word. It's praying to him daily. It's learning in his voice. It's knowing his voice, not just learning it, but then knowing it. And then it's life more abundantly where there's no longer those, those chains and those shackles, those walls of a dungeon anymore. So often I've allowed my past to overwhelm me. My past has overwhelmed me so many times and I have allowed it to overwhelm the life that Jesus wants for me, the freedom, the abundant life. That doesn't mean I have, I have an abundant life or I'm looking for an abundant life of money. Yes, I want my needs met and I want, you know, family and a car because we need to drive. And I'd like all those things. But abundant life is also not having the chains that have, in, have kept me down in the past. The chains of alcohol, the chains of fear, Fear of the unknown. Those things have, have impacted me more than anything else. And I've been the one who puts them on me. So life abundant for me is not 20 Lamborghinis and a 7,000 square foot house on the water in Miami. Although that'd be kind of cool. That's not the abundant life. The abundant life is freedom from fear, freedom from from not from thinking that I am not good, freedom from beating myself up on a daily basis and saying you are a failure in God's eyes. Jesus came to give me that freedom and to break those bonds, and that is abundant life for me. And I just ask, what's abundant life for you? Where is the, what are those chains that you're looking to have broken? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you. I don't feel like I have the right to tell anyone and to talk. But I feel like you were, you're the one who's talking. I just thank you, Lord, for the abundant life. I've expressed my desires to you, the freedom that I strive for with you. I don't feel I've I've, I know I've received it. I don't feel like, I don't believe always that I have because I'm not worthy. So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters out there who feel similarly. I pray that you'd open our eyes Open our hearts and our spirits that we would truly understand abundant living, that we would understand and hear your voice and know that you are our shepherd. I think of a, sh- a flock of sheep who are surrounded, surrounding their, their shepherd who sits there with them, and they must feel peace as they graze, as they walk about, knowing that the shepherd's there. I just ask, Lord, for the same that I would understand that I have that abundant life, 
that everything that was at the disposal of the prodigal son's father to the son who didn't leave, I just pray that I would understand that everything is available and that we all would understand that. So Holy Spirit, guide us, I pray for this day. I ask that you would help us to know what it really means to live abundantly in you. May those chains, those ideas that we hold onto be released 100%. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.